0: Welcome to this edition of DCS Talks, a podcast production of the Tennessee Department of Children's Services. The intention of DCS Talks is to promote dialogue among child welfare professionals, foster parents, and the entire community about ways to prevent child abuse and neglect. I'm Serena Wilson, a program manager at DCS, and I'm your host for this edition. In this edition, we interview two subject matter experts on the topic of diligent searches in child welfare. First, we talk to Alicia Wright, who provides direct services to children and families as a case manager and supervisor in the Upper Cumberland region in Tennessee. She lets our listeners know about what conducting diligent searches for families is like for her and her team and why they are important. Then we continue the discussion about diligent search with the Director of Permanency Planning at DCS, Lindsay Coleman. She has served in many program areas at DCS throughout her career, and she provides our listeners with a global perspective of diligent searches, as well as key points about building support networks when a child is in full guardianship at the department. Lindsay also raises awareness of the importance of diligent searches as it pertains to teenagers and young adults who age out of foster care. Today, I'm interviewing Alicia Wright who's a master's level social worker at the Department of Children's Services. She serves children and families in the Upper Cumberland Region in the Office of Child Programs. Ms. Wright has significant experience in child welfare and has recently developed a curriculum about diligent search in child welfare. And she is also currently delivering a training to all DCS staff about diligent searches. So, hello, Alicia, and welcome to DCS Talks. Hey, Serena. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm so glad you're here to tell us about what all is going on with diligent searches. But before we get into that, um, can you tell us about what your current role with DCS is and, and some of your experiences in child welfare?
1: Sure. I am currently a supervisor in the foster care department of DCS. And what that means is I supervise a couple of workers uh, who carry cases, and I also carry a few cases of my own. Okay, so
0: you're mentoring people, but you're also working with children and families. Right, yes. Can you provide a brief overview of what's meant by diligent
1: searches and and tell us why they're important? Yeah, of course. Uh, Here in Tennessee, we are committed to the children and families that we work with, and So with the Diligent Search, what we do is uh, search out family members, friends, kinship placements, teachers, really anyone that can be a support to the children and families that we work with. We identify those parties and then we bring them to the table and find out what kind of supports they can be for the families and also for the children. Sometimes it winds up being placements and other times it just winds up being a support for the family.
0: We have a big focus on building family teams, part of our practice at DCS, and those diligent searches um, really influence the team, and like you said, whether it's placements or just being a support, it's really important to, to help families with those teams. So
1: I agree, Serena. So what are some
0: of the creative ways or some of the tools that our caseworkers use when they conduct diligent searches?
1: We have several different tools at our disposal, as well as getting a little creative on some um, in the beginning, we do what's called a kinship exception request, and what we do is we look at all kinship relatives, biological relatives or people that have came forward on the front end, to see if they can be placement for the children uh, that are entering custody. Uh, we also have several different internet resources, such as Google. Uh, we also use FreepeopleSearch.com, VimeLink. There's several different creative websites to find parents. And also other in-person health things, such as just conversations with the family or conversations with the school or daycare, things like that, so we can identify uh, family um, members or other supports for the families that we're working with. Do they always have to be family members or have
0: they been other people that are not necessarily related by blood to the family?
1: That's a great question. So they do not have to be family members, uh, not blood related or biological. Um, We consider anyone that's a support and a positive role in the family as part of the team. And so say a teacher or a coach or, something like that, we would consider that to be a kinship option. And so we would bring them to the table just as a positive support for the family. Well That's really
0: great that you can just bring community members and people that care about
1: the child or the family to help support them. It's so important, Serena, to, to help these families be successful and also shorten the length of time that children are in care and also help the parents to remedy whatever the situation was that brought the children to the attention of the department in the
0: beginning. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to know that someone cares about them. And can help them create a more safe and nurturing environment for their children. Exactly. I know that um, oftentimes, when I was um, doing casework myself, I know that there's oftentimes when it's hard to locate fathers. What are some of the barriers to locating fathers, and then and then getting them on that family team?
1: Unfortunately, Serena, you're right. It is difficult sometimes to engage those fathers. Uh, But some of those resources we have, you know, sometimes they're as simple as a conversation. You know, asking the mother, do you have any information on him? Do you know where he's living currently? Sometimes the mother doesn't provide that information. So asking some of those kinship relatives that we've identified. You know, talk to the child. Find out if if they know any information. Uh, Some more formal ways that we can find that out is request the birth certificate. Find out if the dad is listed or maybe even call child support. Uh, There's a lot of creative ways to really engage those fathers maybe that we can't identify on the front end as easily.
0: Okay. Have you ever worked with a father who maybe um, is incarcerated?
1: Yes. Uh, Again, unfortunately, some of our parents are incarcerated. And the best way to do that, Serena, is really reach out to their incarceration site. Most of the people in Tennessee will be assigned a a case manager at their incarceration site. We can get in contact with them and invite them to child and family team meetings. We can engage them through mail or even phone calls. Um, we've even set up phone call visits with children and their families that are incarcerated to maintain that bond for them.
0: That's really interesting. I know that that must be a challenge for um, for families when that occurs.
1: Definitely.
0: Yeah. Um, so tell me, what are some of the policies and protocols that DCS has in place that help caseworkers know what to do when they're conducting diligent searches?
1: Great question. We always need to go to just to know where we can find information. And so I mentioned previously the kinship exception request. That is something that we do um, in order to identify families on the front end. And then Serena, we also have a diligent search manual that outlines uh, different ways to find families, creative ways. It lists a lot of the websites that we use. And so we use both of those. Um, and then we also have a policy that drives, you know, the timeframes for diligent searches and then who we need to be looking for. So we have several tools that are disposal as far as policy and procedure goes.
0: And. Um... And I know from working um, at DCS that all of our policies and protocol are for public viewing on the DCSTN.gov website. So, if anyone in the public or anywhere would like to see what those look like, they can actually go there and look at them themselves. Yes, they can. Uh um, So, Alicia, like I worked in Child Protective Services and you work primarily with foster care cases And we have other colleagues who work in juvenile justice.
1: Are there diligent searches in all of those different areas? They are. Um, Again, it's about building a supportive team around the children and family. So not just or on the child protective services side. You know, it's really getting some support in place to help the family prevent the child from coming into custody. Uh, you know, we're big on prevention here in Tennessee. We wanna prevent the kids from coming into custody if we can. And I think sometimes the best way to do that is really identify some positive supports for the family so they can uh, strengthen their life and strengthen their, their areas of improvement there with some support. So yes, um, and then again, in the foster care side, we look at uh, diligent search for placement options and then also just that ongoing support for the family. Uh, even if the child enters custody, the family still needs that positive support to remedy those situations. And then on the JJ side, one of my favorite questions is the flat tire question, which we ask a lot of our teenagers. In order to identify positive supports for them, what the flat tire question is, is who would you call if you had a flat tire today? Because sometimes the kids can identify positive supports for themselves. So diligent search really applies to all areas of our of our work.
0: Wow, I really love that idea of a flat tire
1: question. That's a way to get
0: at Um, who's your support network. It's really great. Well, this is wonderful. Um, It's good to know that DCS really reaches out to community members, family members, and just builds a team because it truly does take a village to raise a child. As we finish up our conversation about diligent searches, could you let us know how, how do you stay motivated as a mentor um, and a caseworker to conduct diligent searches? with the families you work with?
1: You know, Serena, I've really just um, realized the importance of diligent Search, just how important it is to have that positive network around ourselves, uh, you know, not just for our families, but each of us need people around us. We need a tribe of people to help help us with our children, help us with, with daily duties. And, you know, when we really put it in perspective of just building the strong, supportive network of people to help these families remedy the situations that brought the children to our attention, you know, helping these children have a more positive lives, you know, and in the end, it just builds a stronger tendency for all of us. So really diligent search is really at the forefront of um, helping kids achieve permanency, helping families become the better version of themselves, and in the end, just strengthening us as a whole. I think that's a great point. I'm really glad that you made is that it builds us
0: um, as a community and as a state and our citizenship um, as we support one another and help families to become nurturing, safe places So thank you so much for your work, yeah. What's motivated you to stay in child welfare as well, Ms. Wright?
1: Uh, Certainly my passion is child welfare, just to be honest with you. Um, I got my undergraduate degree degree from uh, Middle Tennessee State University uh, in social work, and I was what's called a stop-in student. So my undergrad career was focused toward child welfare, and then I went on to get my graduate degree from University of Tennessee, and again, stop-in student, so it was focused toward child welfare. I think the more that we pour into our communities, the more that we pour into our vulnerable populations, the better that we all are. And so um, I find my job rewarding every day. Every day is, uh, you know, a challenge and something new. And, and I just love what we
0: do. Wow. I Yeah, I love what we do, too. And I really appreciate that you did. Uh, you've been committed to that through your education and it's been focused and that you're able to share that with the people that you work with. And thank you so much for being with us today, and thank you for your work in diligent searches. We look forward to getting more and more creative about the way that we conduct them and continuing to build that family team. Thanks, Serena, it's been great being here with you. To continue our exploration about diligent searches in child welfare, DCS Talks has asked Lindsay Coleman to join us as a subject matter expert about diligent searches and what that means in child welfare and why that's important. Ms. Coleman serves as the Director of Permanency Planning at the Tennessee Department of Children's Services, where she brings her expertise as a licensed master's level social worker and many years of experience in multiple roles in the profession of child welfare. We're so glad to have you with us, Lindsay. Welcome to DCS Talk. Thank you, and thanks for having me yeah and so we asked you to be here today because we are
2: really interested in diligent searches and diligent searches is a process that um claims to all the different program areas so that's one of the reasons it's so exciting and so important but before we talk about the details of Diligent Search, tell us a little bit about your career and your role at DCS. Yeah. Sure. Um, I'm currently the Director of permanency Planning, so part of my job is to provide support to our foster care staff around policy and program. So that's my relation to Diligent Search. I've worked for the department for a little over 16 years, and I have I've been able to have the opportunity of having experiences in all of our different program areas, so I've served in juvenile justice, child protective services, and in foster care um, as a field employee and supervisor, um, and then I came to Central Law in, uh back in 2015, and then I've had some experience with some of our contract, contract management and, um, and other programs statewide. Wow. Yes. um, I knew that you had done Child Protective Services and JJ, and I know that now you're working with a wide array of stakeholders and community members to support the children and family we work with, so I truly appreciate your work. So, to get into our topic, can you provide a brief overview of, of what we are talking about when we say a diligent search? Sure, and, and kind of it just goes right back to um, the definition of those two words, is that we really want to provide a quality, diligent search uh, for every case and every family we serve, and a uh, diligent means that we try diligently to, to gather that information, that we don't just try one time, but that we are diligent in our effort um, and work hard on multiple occasions to uh, find information about family and searches, obviously, um, self explanatory is, is that's the process by which we find family care and other relationships for families. That's really great. So when we are we're finding uh different family members and support, what might that look like for a family that we're serving? You we have something called a family team and that uh is a mechanism by which we work cases. So uh, we make decisions with families. Like sometimes that looks like uh, a placement for a child, so we can place children outside of a foster care or traditional foster care placement in uh, the home of a relative or a kin um, member, or you know somebody that they already are familiar with to reduce trauma. It could mean that you know we are able to bring in some supports for the parents to help them be more successful with their plan of care so that they have some help in getting um, some of those things done as reminders or, or coaching and, um, and helping with that motivation. And that, that various members of that team can help with other things as well. So, you know, diligent search goes beyond just the placement, which is, I think is sometimes what we uh, traditionally think of a diligent search being the purpose for. But it, it can lead to permanency, which I think we sometimes can support for uh, for use in a variety of outcomes. Yes, I think a lot of times uh, when people think of the work we do at Department of Children's Services, they automatically think of foster care. But you're saying that we we look to find families so that we can try to prevent children from coming into foster care. So that's true. And we start with diligent search from the very beginning of, of working with families. So that can be, right, when we have a child protective services case and we go out and you realize that your family might need some additional support, we help them identify support people to help them. So we think that we do for our child protective services. The vision is immediate protection agreement. Some of the times when we need to provide some additional boundaries to keep children safe, we might create an agreement like this and and doing a diligent search and finding um, maybe a placement for the children for the time being or finding some folks who can maybe be with the parents to increase safety um, or check-in. You know, those types of things can be identified right from the beginning, uh, hopefully to keep children out of foster care. So I know one of the um, interesting issues that you have been working on is with full guardianship and that continuation of a diligent search when a child is in full guardianship. And can you tell us, Lindsay, what what do you mean when you say full guardianship in DCS? Sure. Um, you know, we kind of started out just by talking about why it's so important for a diligent search uh, to get out of foster care to support families, but we also have children who are in full guardianship, which means that the state has complete guardianship of child and parents don't have any parental rights anymore, and that might be because we've terminated their parental rights, mm-hmm. uh, because they haven't um, been working their permanency plan, um, or it could be that uh, the parents are deceased, mm-hmm. and so we have full guardianship of those children. Uh, but... One of the things that our policy recently changed, well, it didn't, wasn't very recent, but within the last year or so, it changed where we uh, require diligent searches to be done for children with mental guardianship um, as well who are in permanent placement. Um, and a lot of times I'll get questions about why we would need to do a diligent search for a child who is in a permanent placement and mental guardianship, and the answer is to, to continue to build teams around kids. And kids do better when they have more positive adult influences available to them, and um, it never hurts for us to build a team, and, it, and that team might be members of um, the foster family or the potential adoptive family, members of their, uh, what they would consider their informal team, mm-hmm. um, but identifying those folks and bringing them in as a part, part of the team is something we really still feel is, is important. Right, and so... That family team is someone who who cares about that child and is able to offer support. So even for children who are in uh, the full guardianship of the state, that it's very important for that to continue. We've talked about um, diligent search and prevention with our child protective services, and we've talked about diligent search with foster care. What about teenagers and young adults who may be aging out of foster care? What might um, that diligent search process look look like for them? That part of the diligent search process is is one of the most important, I would say. Um, We sometimes do have kids who are going to age out of foster care and and take advantage of our extension of foster care uh, model, which is fantastic because we're able to get support to continue their education and have a safe, stable place to live. And so sometimes when we're not able to to find other permanency options for youth, they can choose to do extension of foster care and they'll age out of foster care into that program. So we have some youth who also choose not to do that. Um, But either way, uh, still do want to work to try to find Multiple supports for those youth because when they age out of foster care, they may not have a whole lot of adults to depend on. And we want to establish situations where they have multiple adults to go to. Some of our uh, youth who are in a foster placement that are going to age out and do extension of foster care, you know, their, their foster placement is committed to them. There's no reason to believe that that wouldn't be a long-term support for them. And um, they are you say, gosh, uh, you know, you can stay here for as long as you would like, and that's fantastic. That's exactly what we would want for a youth not to not be able to find permanency options in other ways. But we also have to acknowledge that at some point or other those, those folks die, you know, or right. might, something might happen where they're no longer able to provide those. For, and so can we can you know, establish multiple adults who can fill in the gaps? Or maybe, you know, uh, sometimes... I think having other uh, positive support of adults surrounding youth can provide them different perspectives as well. Like, you know, I might not want to talk to my uh, foster mom about this, but I might be okay with talking about it to my coach, or I might be okay with talking about it to my best friend's mom or, or somebody else like that, but I could provide some different perspectives. So I think it's really important to build those teams around teenagers, because um, when they age out a foster care, they need to have more than one person or two people that they can depend on for advice and all those things you need as you're growing up. You know, just as simple as like how do I how do I make macaroni and cheese? Can you ever think of a time when you have been providing services to a family or mentoring someone on your team to provide services and conducting that diligent search just? really paid off so that you found just the right resource that you needed. Sure. Perfect. I have a couple of examples from when I did Child Protective Services for sure. Um, I remember one night I was working with a family and the parents had some drug and alcohol issues and we were going to have to safety place the children outside of the home. And we talked with the family, I talked to the family for hours about you know who can who can we look at? And we had talked with relatives, and we had ran background checks, and we just couldn't placement. And I was sitting in my car, um, trying to call my supervisor for permission to do the removal. And a lady came up to my um, my window and knocked on it. And so I rolled my window down, and uh, she said, "I'm the neighbor. You know, how can I help?" And so we talking and I brought the mom out and you know, I wanted to make sure that it was okay that, that we share information with, with the neighbor and it turns out the neighbor was totally willing to be a safety placement. She lived two doors down from the, from the parents and the parents were okay with that as well but they just hadn't thought about it and when we were talking about different relatives and different options for um, safety placements and so she became a safety placement for those kids and the mom got some um, help with her uh, drug addiction issues, was able to get the children uh, back in her custody at the end of the case. So um, that was definitely a payoff because the children were able to stay in the same school. They were able to ride the same school bus because they lived two doors, you know, two doors down. They were able to have consistent visitation, which has um, helped with you know, supporting that bond and continued progress towards our ultimate goal was getting everybody back together. So, I mean, I think that that was a really great example of utilizing a neighbor um, who really the mom hadn't even thought of. And I think I kind of thought differently and made sure I asked, you know, moving forward about neighbors after that. Um, and then I also had another, and it was actually the very first case I ever did a removal on. We actually didn't do removal into foster care, but we did have to do an out-of-home placement. And um, the grandmother lived on the same property, and so we were able to use the grandmother. The children stayed in the grandmother's home, and the mom got some help, and then the children We actually ended up doing some, they did some renovations on the home, and then the children ended up being able to go back and stay with the mom, and that mom sent me Christmas cards for years. I'm so appreciative, which is really strange because I don't think I've got, and we actually took a little group photo at the end of our case too, which was really sweet, but um, it was one of my uh, probably most memorable families because of the family photo, but we were able to um, help that mom, and she felt so supported by the department and so supported by, other folks, um, in her life that she was successful long term, That's um, which is fantastic. So, I think diligent search pays off and, you know, the worst thing that can happen by doing a diligence search is that, you know, we maybe don't find somebody, but we're certainly not going to find somebody if you don't look, wow, wow, those are amazing stories, Lindsay. It really speaks to how we can help families recover and heal and also support children and keep them in their environments and that really reduces trauma and it keeps them close to home and places that they're familiar. So uh, thank you for sharing that with us. As an agency, we're run um, according to a lot of policies and protocol and can you tell us, and I know that as the Director of Permanency Planning, that your job is to maintain that policy and protocol. Can you tell us what those look like um, to support our caseworkers? So, sure, we actually have a policy that addresses diligent search for a custodial and non-custodial uh, family. And that uh, talks about the types of diligence search that we should be doing um, before we bring children in custody. And then we also have, and then while children are in custody as well, we also have a diligence search manual that gives you ideas of, of how to do diligence search properly. And then we also have addresses full disclosure, which once we find relatives or can place uh, relatives are um, using full disclosure to explain to those relatives or can you know all the different options that are available to them as a as a relative resource. Oh that's great. And it's just really good to know that there is some structure in place and an outline so that our caseworkers are able to follow a process that's pretty similar across the state. Although I know that you are always welcoming out of the box thinking in building those family teams. So Lindsay, to finish up the conversation, um, I'm just interested in, in your motivation and what keeps you motivated in a career in child welfare. You know, actually, I, I think it's a privilege. And a lot of fun. I mean, it's a privilege to be able to touch so many families. And, and at this point, in you know my career, i have mostly in ways that I don't touch customers directly usually. But I'm able to work with case managers who do, and I'm able to work with you know policy that does, and I'm able to work with colleagues who have really fantastic ideas and approaches. So I really think it's a privilege. And I mean, helping people and helping uh, social workers really be able to serve families and meet them where they are, continuing this. And and respect and do the job well is, is really what keeps, keeps me um, excited about the work. You know, I just think every single person who's a social worker who goes out and and really, and I think most folks really want to do a great job and they go out and do the work, the lasting of what you do on that family can change the trajectory of, of the lives of different folks. And so um, it's very important work. So I would say that's probably what keeps, me motivated to continue to grow and to learn and to do. Well, I really appreciate your work and just tying that into building a strong community and building a strong state and supporting our families so that we are all successful. There's one more thing I think I would probably mention is just re-engaging families. I think sometimes they'll engage a family member and maybe at that point in time, they're not able to be a, a placement or a resource or a support. You know, two, three, four months down the road, if they're older, maybe we get a case again um, on a family, for a non custodial family, you know, we should re-engage those folks. We should talk to them again and see if anything can changed. I think it's important for us to not rule folks out until we talk to them again about it with the reengaging and just to make sure some of those people, you know, aren't necessarily in a position where they can provide you all the information the first time you ask them. Mm-hmm. But when you come back to the second time or the third time where we reengage a family member to say, hey, Josh, if anything changes, anything that I can help you with now, Um, that might make this look different when you can be a support for the family. I mean, certainly we don't want to just bombard the family and continue to ask when they've said so, but we do need to um, re-engage family members and see if there have been changes so that we don't lose out on an opportunity that might be there two or three months later after our initial ask and the answer was no. Wow. And so you're really kind of talking about, it takes time to build trust with people and build relationships. So... um, that's why, I, you know, I hear you place an emphasis on engagement, and and you talk about those elements of engagement—genuineness, uh genuineness, empathy, and respect—and that's I just love it um, that we have that language at DCS because it's so true. I'm thankful that you brought that up about that ongoing relationship and re-engaging in a diligent search.
0: Thank you so much for being with us today, Lindsay. And thank you, listener, for joining us at the DCS Talks edition on diligent searches. Please listen again to hear other subject matter experts like Lindsay Coleman and Alicia Wright discussing ways to advocate for children and build resilient communities.